Hello, and welcome to the Business Decisions Podcast. My name is Stuart Wood, and I'm the CEO of Caravel Law. Every week, we bring you stories and insights from founders, owners, and leaders of great businesses, followed by some thoughts and input from one of Caravel's lawyers. Caravel Law has been a leader in legal innovation in Canada since 2004 and has helped many startups and small businesses overcome challenges as they have scaled and succeeded. Our hope is that these discussions will help existing business leaders and inspire others to start their own ventures. Now, let's get to today's guest. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Christian Weedbrook, the founder and CEO of Xanadu Quantum Technologies. Christian will give us a bit of an introduction to quantum computing, along with sharing some of the challenges that come along with building a company in a brand new industry, in this case, an industry where the product doesn't yet exist. Following my conversation with Christian, we'll be joined by Essia Juris, a commercial real estate lawyer with Caravel Law. Essia will highlight some things that a fast-growing startup should keep in mind when looking for new space, and in particular, when signing a new commercial lease or sublease. And now here's my conversation with Christian Weedbrook. So we're here with Christian Weedbrook, the founder and CEO of Xanadu Quantum Technologies here in Toronto. Christian has over a decade of experience in quantum computing, PhD in physics from the University of Queensland in his native Australia. Did postdoc work at MIT and at University of Toronto, and then you stayed in Toronto after that to, uh, to build Xanadu. Very exciting uh, news for Xanadu lately. You've raised a Series A round, and in 2018, the Ontario Centers of Excellence gave you the Martin Walmsley Award for Entrepreneurship. So it's been uh, a quite a period of success for Xanadu lately. It has. Thank you for uh, inviting me for this. I really yeah. appreciate it. It's been a kind of a whirlwind the last uh, one, two, three years for sure. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about uh, Xanadu. I'm sure that a lot of people are familiar with the term quantum computing, but mm-hmm. don't necessarily know exactly what it is you're building here. For sure. So I always try to start off with our mission statements. It's something that sort of helps us and guides us a lot of time. And our mission statement is quite uh, quite simple, but very hard to, to do, obviously. Uh, it's to build quantum computers uh, that are useful and available to people everywhere. And we always come back to that. So obviously, as you mentioned, we're a quantum computing uh, company. Uh, we're based in downtown Toronto. We're always uh, proud about that, that fact. And we're full stack. And so what that means is we're actually building the quantum computer itself, so the hardware, and uh, the software layer on top, and obviously the applications associated with it. Uh, as you mentioned, we just closed our Series A round of funding, which is really exciting. We have some uh, very good uh, um, VCs. Actually, uh, I would say 95 or more than 95% of the funding is actually from Canadian oh, that's great. VCs. It is, it yeah. is. So we're really also proud of that. And we have approximately uh, 40 people now, and we're looking to scale up and move to these beautiful offices that we're in now uh, about six months ago. Yeah, you're in beautiful space here. So how do you usually explain to people how quantum computing works? Yeah, it's, it's always a tough thing to explain. Uh, I always go back to kind of the, the business uh, side of things if we're talking to people that ultimately want to use and, and buy our chips. Um, essentially, uh, one way to think about it is you go back to, well, how does a traditional normal non-quantum computer work? And essentially, you have an input to a computer. You have the gates that act on the input. Mm-hmm. Then you have the output, which essentially tells you the answer that, mm-hmm. you're, that you're looking for. And so a quantum computer can be thought of in that way, except now you have quantum states that go in. You have quantum gates, quantum logic gates, and you have quantum detection or some variety at the output. And uh, what's really interesting about quantum is it leverages two aspects of uh, the the sort of subatomic world, two properties. One is entanglement, and the other one is the superposition of, of things. And without these two things acting um, on the on, in the quantum computer, then it would just be no more powerful than a traditional computer. So the common way you hear about it in the media, which some people like, some people don't like, but it gives you a flavor of things. Uh, normal computers take uh, zeros and ones at the input that I mentioned before. Yep. 
uh, a quantum computer can actually take zero and one at the same time. And it's, it's kind of like a light switch. If it's off, it'll be a, a, a zero bit. If it's on, a bit one. And we don't see this. We don't see the light switch on and off at the same time. Uh, it's not a phenomenon that we're, we're used to. But in the, in the sort of subatomic world and sort of the sort of region of electrons and photons, uh, you see some weird things. And, uh, you know, the superposition, sort of the adding of zero and one at the same time, is one of these uh, common elements. So what that means now is that instead of one bit of information going in, you have an, uh, up to an exponential amount. Uh, it, it scales as two to the n. So as you have more and more quantum bits, you have more and more possibilities. And so essentially what all that means is you can use these weird effects of quantum physics uh, to build a really, really powerful quantum computer. So you've described in uh, other places I've seen that you're trying to build the world's most powerful computer. Mm -hmm. And is it a case where there's sort of this world before quantum computers and there will be a completely different world after you've succeeded? Yeah, for sure it will be. Um, that's sort of uh, here today, you know, something different tomorrow. Uh, it may be spaced out uh, over a certain amount of time because there'll be different types of quantum chips. So, you know, if people came to our our, uh, our office, our headquarters here, you we have a quantum lab mm -hmm. and uh, you would see a small quantum computer. Uh, but it's no more powerful than, uh, say, laptops at this point. But what happens is you add more and more sort of aspects to the computer. Say the uh, qubits is one element, there's other things as well, uh, the more powerful it gets. And as I mentioned before, it's an exponential scaling. So there will be a point that, uh, you know, the next day suddenly it's more powerful than the day before, but it will be kind of a, uh, you know, um, a gradual thing in some sense, because after that point, uh, we call that point quantum supremacy, the point at which uh, uh, a quantum computer can outbeat uh, a traditional computer, only a certain amount of uh, applications will be available. But then as the years go on, more and more applications uh, will be available. So it'll be a bit of both, I, I would think. Yeah. And how much when you're trying to raise a Series A do you have to explain this to the people who are going to invest in Sandu? Yeah, we have to explain it all the time for sure. It's, it's something that we've all got used to. There's a yeah. few of us that go out on the road or speak to investors. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. And we, we always try to explain it in, you know, the, the easiest way possible. The other thing that we have learned, though, in raising money is uh, very early on, we just try to target the VCs that wanted to invest in quantum computing. Mm -hmm. So really, the conversation then wasn't about what is a quantum computer. They would say, well, how is your quantum computer different to the other ones we've been hearing about. And it's very different. It uh, mm -hmm. uses photonics or light, um, you know, optics to actually do quantum computing. So that, that was a key thing we learned. Choose the VCs that actually want to invest and then just spend most of the time talking about the technology and how it's different. And so when you're trying to build a team, you mentioned you're up to 40 people now. Mm -hmm, that's right. How do you find the talent for a space like this that does, you know, the product doesn't exist yet? Uh, that's a good question. I think that question gets more and more relevant every six months or every year. Mm -hmm. um, in the initial, I would say, first two years, it was, it was fairly easy mm -hmm. uh, because so myself and others, we've all come from academia. So, for instance, for myself, I was there for approximately 12 years. Uh, so during that, that over a decade, you get to know the people in the field. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much a case of uh, drawing on people that we knew that were looking for jobs and, you know, one or two degrees of separation of other people that knew of other people. And so we were able to build a team of, you know, 10 or 20 fairly easily. And they were very high quality people as they are today. Uh, but going now, we're at this point, as you mentioned, 40, uh, around 30 to 40 gets tougher yeah. uh, to actually find more and more people. And there's a few reasons. I mean, one of the big reasons is not everyone has a skill set. Very few people in the world has this. Now you're trying to build a company around. It's very difficult. 
The other side is it seems like every other day someone's starting a quantum company as well. So now they're taking the sort of limited resources. You've had to move into larger space now in, in this new space. That's right. Is it a challenge to find uh, office buildings that are you know comfortable with a quantum lab next to uh, office space? It is. I mean, even if we were, say, a software company, um, yeah. we didn't need a lab. It would take a, a while. I think the uh, occupancy rate, at least according to realtors we talked to, is like 98% or something. Yeah. So just finding an office is very challenging. Finding one like the one we're in now and just, you know, a very... You know, beautiful office, something you like turning up to every day. That's you know even tougher. And then you throw on the top, as you mentioned, uh, you need something that can sustain, um, you know, really a world class uh, quantum nanophotonics lab. <laughs> and that's we we do have the best in the world for that. And you know, we would always uh, some of the kind of uh, uh, constraints we would have is we needed concrete floors. <laughs> that was one of the big ones. We needed a certain type of electricity for our machines. Uh, we need a, so a, a water source uh, for cooling and things of that nature. Yeah. There's many sort of, sort of things that we needed, but um, we were able to, you know, it took maybe six months or more, but we were able to find it. Oh, that's great. And the team's happy here? They're extremely happy. Actually, the first day that we, um, you know, before we actually officially moved in, we, we, we've signed the lease and we got everyone to come over and check it before we actually moved in. And people were actually taking photographs from... But we're on the 29th floor, so they're yeah. taking photographs. So that was always a good sign if people were like, oh, I want to take a photo of where I'm going to work. That's a great sign. Mm -hmm. And I remember the uh, first time I visited you at your old office, uh, everybody was sort of right on top of each other. You were They definitely missed that. Yeah. That, so do you notice a change in the uh, team dynamics of being in such close quarters? We do. I think um, it goes back to our culture and the hiring. Mm -hmm. um, we have people that you know, so brilliant. I mean, my goal, which has already been achieved, was just to sort of build something where I couldn't get a job. <laughs> and it's definitely true now. It, it, everyone here is so incredible. You're learning every yeah. day. Very humble. It goes with that. Incredible smarts. Yeah. So then, you know, you got these sorts of people, they're not going to complain too much. Yeah. You know? But having said that, uh, having more space, uh, I, I think, you know, people have really enjoyed that. What we are noticing, though, uh, we've actually started looking for more space. So oh, really? It's, yeah, it's not as crowded mm. as what we had before, but it's sort of anticipating that the highs and the fact that it can take six months to find a spot. Mm. We've also, surprisingly, everyone seemed to like a standing desk. Uh, so ah. We've been getting them for you know subsequent hires and sort of some of the people that have been here that really want one. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy just to sit down, but uh, other people like to sort of wind it up every now and then. Yeah. So you're looking for space now in anticipation of growth to come? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, one of the aspects that we've, you know, why we raised such such a large, uh, nearly all Canadian Series A was to build out the business team and the operational side of the business, you know, really transform it into what's typically, uh, uh, you know, all the typical characteristics of, of a startup. Uh, beforehand, it was heavily uh, research, uh, which is the nature of quantum. Mm -hmm. So anticipating, uh, you know, the, the typical hires of business development people and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and also still adding to the research team as well. It just indicates that over the next six months, we'll go to maybe 45 and then, uh, and then uh, 50, 55 over the next year. Mm -hmm. One of the key things that takes up space, but it's, it'll be heartbreaking to take out, is a, a table tennis room. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's one of those things that everyone's kind of uh, obsessed about. So I would hate to take that away. Ah, there you go. Not the motivating factor, but it is uh, it does play a role. And how's your game? Well, um, we had a tournament. Yeah. Came third. Ah, yeah, should have come second. Ah. Uh, just uh, lots of uh, interest, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I would say. But no, we're, we're in the middle of, a, of another one now, a doubles tournament. Oh, so there you it's go. It's a lot of fun. People have really got into it. Very exciting. And so what sort of response are you seeing from the business community when you go out and talk about what you're building? 
Well, it, it's been mostly positive, if not always positive, to be honest, because you throw around things like quantum. Mm -hmm. First off, just curious. And, and so getting meetings now is, is very easy, particularly in the last year, year and a half, um, you know, up until the present day. The, the idea of a quantum computer, particularly something in, in hometown of Toronto, is very appealing to, say, the banks in Toronto and Canada. So uh, and also through our investors, owners, and others, uh, we can get uh, contacts, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere in the financial industry. Mm -hmm. So it's been very positive. Uh, what's challenging, though, is, you know, working with banks, and uh, it's such a big organization. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to actually form relationships, know who to talk to. And, you know, RBC, for instance, I think has 100,000 people. It just takes a long time. So we've been putting in that grind uh, day in, day out, and... You know, we're starting to making roads now, but having the quantum angle has really helped us a lot. And is it is it hard to build the market before the computer exists? A quantum computer is, is very unique in the sense that we all believe that it's going to change the world. The challenge is actually doing that. But fundamentally, it's a new type of computing that will outpace for certain problems, anything we've ever seen before. But you do fit into that. Well, we have a solution. Now we're waiting for a problem in the early days of quantum computing. That's right. From the work that we've done here at Zanu, it's changed a lot. We have a lot of number of use cases, um, but it still is, you know, we feel like the best days are ahead of us in terms of uh, applications and products. So it is one of these things where, first off, um, the best applications still are here, although we do have a, lot, a number of great ones to get started. The other thing is the technology is not here. And as you mentioned, how do you sell something that's not quite there yet? And I would say, you know, we'll be there by the end of next year, early the year after that, where we have something for a customer. So it is a challenge, but I think that goes hand in hand with something if you want to change the world. If it was already here, the competition would be great. It would be an easier problem. <laughs> so that, that, that's a good thing. But, you know, the way we look at it is uh, we have a sense that we, we got to get banks, in this case, um, quantum ready. So what that mm -hmm. means is that we actually have to find problems that a quantum computer can actually solve for them. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. So it's actually a good thing that a fully functioning error-correctable fault-tolerant quantum computer does not exist today because we would still be, you know, one to two years away from finding that sweet spot in terms of applications. So <laughs> we can actually work in parallel with uh, finding use cases, working with banks in this example, and building up the hardware. So it's actually near, an, uh, near a perfect match. So um, there are some people, you know, that say we'll come back in two years, but most of the banks or you know, industries where if you give them a, 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 even a small competitive advantage, it could be a huge shift. And, and a change in, in their uh, revenue model. So they're, they're quite excited about it. And are you taking this you know, to different markets, prim primarily in North America so far? Or? The markets that a quantum computer that we all believe, not just Xanadu, mm -hmm. where a quantum computer can make a significant impact. One would be uh, financial institutions, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Another one is drug discovery and pharma. Another one, material design, for instance, designing more efficient or better batteries. Mm -hmm. uh, logistics, think of Uber and, and uh, autonomous vehicles, for instance. And AI in general, it's more of a horizontal play, which will affect all of them. But quantum can do significant things in those, those categories. And our mission is to really build a, a cloud platform. And in that case, you think of a cloud platform that can be very uh, horizontal, meaning it can serve many use cases. Um, so that's our, our, our vision. But in the, in the meantime, we have to, you know, prod along and, and find these use cases. So we can't do all of them. And, uh, you know, we like focus here. So financial institutions are one of uh, the main areas that we're focusing on. And to your point where we've been mostly Canadian banks, we'll slowly go into over the next six months here into um, banks outside of Canada, mm -hmm. uh, US is a big one, and also say uh, UK as well. And so why has it been important to you to build this company in Toronto and, you know, to raise your money from Canadian investors? 
Uh, two things. I think one is when I first arrived here in 2010, I just fell in love with the city. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I, there's, there's a few reasons, but it's more natural sort of affinity for it. I, I don't know why. I love the big city. I love the multicultural aspect and all those sorts of things. So yeah, that's the first thing. I just want to, I want to stay here. And uh, so therefore want to build a, a company here. Yeah. The other side is, uh, you know, a lot of people say you can't raise, you know, there's types of rounds we've had for our seed and also Series A from Canadian VC. So it's nice to kind of be one of the one of the sort of companies that's kind of doing that, even though a lot of people say you can't do it. And it's not just us. It's really, you know, it's right time, right place. I think uh, the Canadian landscape is changing. There's, there's, you know, every now and then there's a new VC fund popping up. So I think it's right time, right place. And we like to also encourage that. Do you notice any sort of patterns or characteristics of the companies that are sort of really engaging with you now? It's really characteristics. You need to find a champion, champions that can really sort of hold the, the you know, the torch for you and really say to everyone else in the organization, you should be talking as attitude. This is really amazing. And so having people in, in the bank that can do that, you know, on the flip side, there's people that won't do that. Mm -hmm. So we, we found both. I think the characteristic may be just people that are more forward thinking, mm -hmm. uh, like talking and thinking about the future, uh, get excited by quantum. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the type of people that uh, inherently we're, we're drawn to and vice versa. And they really push us along in, in an organization. Yeah. Do you have companies uh, coming find you now? We do. Yeah. Uh, we had a big oil and gas company actually coincidentally reach out today. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're getting more publicity, which is good. Uh, we recently had a, a press release at the beginning of the week uh, on our work with BMO and Scotiabank. So I think slowly, you know, we're spreading the word. We're going. We're, we're trying to go. Uh, trying to go at a at a good pace. We don't want to sort of spread too much. Be part of the hype, but some hype is good. You know, as long as it's based in our technological uh, achievements as well. So in terms of the mission to change the world and uh, build the world's most powerful computer, mm -hmm. how much uh, does that drive your team, you think, on a day-in, day-out basis? Because it's got to be a tough journey from zero to one sort of thing. It is, yeah. And, and you know, we go back to our values, uh, which we've talked about a lot, coincidentally, in the last uh, month or so here at Xanadu. And these are sort of, I think these answer your question. Like the first one is, do we wake up each day and, and look forward to what we do? You know, do we love our work? <laughs> and that's... I think, yes, across the board, everyone in the company. And the other one is, um, there's, I think, eight of them. Another one is, do we are we learning every day? Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing worse than waking up um, or going to bed one night after a week and looking back on the week and think, I didn't learn anything. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that would be such a shame. And so what we do, uh, the reason I bring this up is we look at our core values, and these values have nothing to do with building a quantum computer. You know, so how do you sort of sustain the ups and downs and not really buy into the ups and downs? You go back to, well, I can learn something today. You know, I can mm -hmm. like what I do. Mm -hmm. um, so we take those things very seriously. And I think uh, those things are, are what uh, drive people. We also, you know, got feedback along the lines of working with great people. That's what sustains us. Working with very smart people. Another one is it's great to be a part of something that's progressing science. Uh, it's great to be part of a new industry that, doesn't exist yet. It could be its own industry. So I think all those things um, uh, really drive everyone, including myself. And so I, I couldn't help but notice that a number of your uh, sort of environments are named after famous songs. And uh, oh, yeah. is that your influence, or is that you have a team of music lovers here? Uh, well, you know, the Beatles have uh, been extremely important in my life. <laughs> uh, I, I remember, you know, I was very, when I was very young, I first listened to them. <laughs> I remember, uh, I think my mom had a copy of the, the Blue album, The, the Greatest Hits. Yeah. And uh, that was just, it felt like every song I listened to was like I'd heard it before or it just made sense. 
<laughs> and so, you know, I just I, I personally really love them. And, uh, you know, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane are two of our, our software products and obviously mm-hmm. influenced by the Beatles. And we had another kind of library come out last week and uh, the people here named it uh, The Walrus. So ah, <laughs> it's good now. I don't have to, you know, prompt them to do that. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, they're, they're an example of just the, the top of the top. It's like, you know, what's the, who's the Michael Jordan of such and such? Who's the Beatles of such and such? So it's just, uh, it's, it's nice. So if people are interested in learning more about Xanadu and, uh, or if they're interested in reaching out and learning how they might uh, partner with you in the future, what should people do? Well, first, maybe uh, re-listen to this podcast. There you go. That'd be the first thing. You know, reach out to go to our website, xanadu.ai. And you're always welcome to reach out to me. I'm always available uh, all the time. And it's just uh, christian at xanadu.ai. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. I really enjoyed that conversation with Christian. And now we'll be joined by Essia Juris, a commercial real estate lawyer with Caravel Law. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the commercial real estate questions that came up during my conversation with Christian. Delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Essia Juris from Caravel Law. Essia, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice? Uh, thank you, Stuart. I act on behalf of a diverse uh, client base. I help them negotiate various contracts, including commercial leases, and I assist uh, all types of clients, whether it be retail, office, industrial, in industrial matters, and I help them negotiate favorable business terms on all sorts of commercial agreements. That's great. Well, you're the perfect person to speak to. We were just speaking with Christian Weedbrook from Xanadu Quantum Technologies, and he told us the story about how six months after moving into their new space, they're already outgrowing it and starting to look for additional space. So how should startups or other fast-growing companies approach lease discussions when they are growing uh, quickly like this? There's a few items to consider. The first item is the term of the contract, uh, because as by nature of startups, they they don't know what their long-term future is going to look like. Ideally, they want to negotiate a shorter term with renewal options. So if they're expecting a certain percentage of growth, they want to make sure that they're looking at space that could accommodate them uh, in the event of large growth. On the flip side, they also want to negotiate terms whereby they could reduce the size of their space in the event that uh, they don't grow as fast as they expected or they have to uh, reduce their office size. And how common are clauses like that in commercial leases? Well, they're Common enough, you just have to negotiate them with the landlord. You have to have a willing landlord. It really depends on the space and how high demand it is. But definitely at the offer to lease stage, this is the time where you need to feel out the landlord to ensure that they can accommodate your needs. If you find a space that you love, but they can't accommodate your needs, then it might trigger you to look at different space. Are there different times where a startup would have more or less leverage? Yes, absolutely. Uh, During the offer lease stage, the landlord and tenant's bargaining powers are at the most level. Once the offer lease is signed, then typically these agreements say that the tenant shall enter into a lease that's uh, typically in the landlord's standard form. So unless you're negotiating certain terms at the offer lease stage, it's often hard to get it uh, at the lease negotiation stage. And startups often look at subleases as a way of getting space at a lower cost or potentially with shorter commitment. What are some key points that uh, you need to focus on if you're considering a sublease? Well, in a sublease arrangement, you've got a head landlord, you've got a sublandlord, and then you have the startup, which would be the subtenant. So you've got three parties involved. And as a subtenant, you want to make sure that you have some kind of arrangement with the landlord 
whereby uh, it would agree to preserve your rights in the event that the sub landlord slash tenant something happens with their lease, their business, they they sell their business, they become bankrupt or are unable to pay rent. So you want to. It's very important that the sub tenant enter into some kind of a, an agreement with the head landlord. And are there any key clauses that you should be focused on when uh, negotiating a sublease? The, the main ones are uh, with the landlord itself, the head landlord, um, because if something happens with the tenant, if they're late on rent or they fail to pay rent, uh, then you get locked out in addition to the sub landlord. So your rights are impacted as well. You want to have at least get some agreement by the landlord. Um, typically, the landlord doesn't like to give much to subtenants, so it really depends on how well you can negotiate with the head landlord and uh, have them preserve certain rights for you. And one of the basic, most basic ones is notice. So if the sub landlord is in default, you would like to have some notice to ensure that you can make arrangements to deal with how you're going to operate your space because you potentially you have the potential of being locked out as well. Perfect. Well, that's a lot of helpful information for people. Thank you very much for your time today, Asya. Thank you, Stuart. I want to thank my guests on today's podcast, Christian Weedberg from Xanadu Quantum Technologies and Essia Juris from Caravel Law. If you'd like more information about Caravel Law, please check us out at caravellaw.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we hope you'll subscribe, leave us a rating, and share the podcast with others you think might benefit from these conversations. We'll be back next week with episode four. Until then, we hope all of your business decisions are great ones.